Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here. Praise God. Won't we be glad when they allow us to fill the place up again? In both services. <laughs> Where's Vic? Did he have to leave? Well, I don't want to give him the big head, but he did a great job in the first service. As he would say, my, my, my. Hallelujah. Amen. We want to welcome everybody that's watching by live stream today. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you watching and we appreciate you communicating with us and letting us know how much you're enjoying the services. Not only here in America, but we get response from all over the world. Praise God. Let's open our Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I believe I have a, a fresh word from the Lord for you today, and I want to encourage you to listen very closely, take notes if at all possible, because I believe it's a very timely word. Uh, in just a few moments, I'm going to share a word that I received from the Lord on Wednesday when uh, we were flying to Texacana to do a, a meeting uh, with Pastor Tracy Harris and, and his minister's conference and had a great number of ministers there. In fact, David and Wendy Stowe were there. Good to see you guys this morning. And I want to share a portion of it with you that I believe pertains to you, even though you're not in full-time ministry, as it were, uh, one of the five-fold offices of ministry. But I believe a portion of it is applicable to everybody in here. But before I read that to you, uh, I want to begin reading, first of all, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. I'm going to read several translations. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous times shall come. Uh, one of the meanings for the word perilous is difficult. Difficult times. Now that's prophesied. So we shouldn't think it strange that we are already encountering some difficult times. Perilous times, as the King James says. Now the Passion Translation reads this way. You need to be aware that in the last days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce. If that doesn't describe what's happening right now, I don't know what does. And the word fierce means marked by extreme violence and intensity of emotions. Emotions are running wild right now. You can see it on television. It also means ruthlessness. And a, a phrase that is also associated with the word fierce, and it certainly is applicable to what we're seeing today, trigger happy. We're living in those kind of times. The message translation says, don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. And then the Amplified says, times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. Now that's the prophetic word. We can't change that. 
We have to learn how that we can prepare ourselves and learn how we can overcome. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, talking about trouble that would come in the end, when his disciples says, what, what are the characteristics of the end? And he listed a number of things, many of which will come after the church is already taken away in the rapture. But at the same time, he said, and see that you be not troubled. So he says, you can live in troubled times and not be troubled. That's good news to me. Hallelujah. We're living in troubled times right now. It may not be quite as what Jesus described in Matthew chapter 24, but you could say this is the beginning of sorrows. It's the beginning of troubles. And yet he tells us you can live in extremely troubled times and yet not be troubled. I choose to not be troubled. Lift your hands and say, I choose to not be troubled. Amen. So the Amplified says, times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. But I want you to notice the word impossible is not in that verse. It didn't say there will be impossible to deal with and impossible to bear, just hard to deal with and hard to bear. Carolyn showed me last night a video of a pastor in Kentucky who back in December had a prophetic dream and he saw what would be happening in 2020 during the first three months, January, February, March. And he shared it with a group of men in his church in a men's meeting in December. And he told what he saw in that dream. And what happened in March, I mean, January, February, March is exactly what he saw in that dream. He saw the rioting. He saw the, uh, uh, the, the virus spreading. He saw uh, uh, fires in the cities and buildings on, on fire and the violence that was happening. And then the Lord showed him uh, a little further into the year. But the Lord kept saying, and I was impressed by what this man said, the Lord kept saying to him, embrace, um, uh, brace yourself. Brace yourself. Said it three times. Brace yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, brace yourself. Now, he kept saying, I'm not saying these things to bring fear into your life. But it very clearly says, don't be naive. Amen. Don't, don't pretend that it's not happening. It's happening. It's happening all around us. And, uh, you know, I remember back, oh, when I first moved to Fort Worth, shortly after that, David Wilkerson had a vision about some things that were going to happen in the years to come. And when I first heard him talk about that vision, frankly, I wasn't sure that he heard from God. I, I, I kind of thought maybe he interpreted it with a lot of his assembly of God tradition. So I just kind of, you know, put it on the shelf. 
But a lot of it, I've went back just recently and read that vision again. And a lot of what he said has already come to pass. Some of it has not yet come to pass. And I think my own personal opinion, you, you don't have to agree with me. I think he brought some of what will happen after the rapture of the church into that interpretation. As well as this pastor in Kentucky, he brought a lot of what will happen after the rapture of the church into what he thinks is going to happen over the next few months. Personally, I don't think that's going to happen, but at the same time, it's serious business. Amen. We live in an unusual, we live in unusual times. The world we live in today has gone crazy. Amen. It's, it's not your daddy or your granddaddy's world. It's not the world I lived in 20 years ago. Amen. Who would have ever thought that we would be dealing with the things we're dealing with right now in 2020? You know, uh, I'll have to be honest with you. Uh, I always am. So, you know, no need in changing now, praise God. Uh, when I was flying to Australia with Brother Copeland, back in September of 2019. And he and I had been, uh, uh, you know, preaching to one another on the airplane and sharing and, and reminiscing about some things we've experienced over the last 50 years and so forth. We were just having a great time of fellowship. And we had flown from, from Fort Worth to Honolulu and we stopped there to refuel. We was only on the ground about an hour and a half. And then we we're going on into Gold Coast, Australia or Brisbane, Australia. And uh, after we took off uh, from Honolulu, we, we continued our conversation. And, and then Brother Copeland said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to the back of the airplane and take a nap. And, and you're welcome to do the same if you'd like. And I said, go ahead. Uh, I, I was reading something before we got on board. And I, I think I'll just continue reading that. And if I get sleepy, I'll, I'll just lay here on... Uh, and lean the seat back and take a nap here. He said, okay, I'll be back with you in a little while. So he did. And, and I continued reading what I was reading. And then I closed my eyes for a split second. And I heard the voice of the Lord. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't planning on it. I didn't ask for it. I heard the Lord say, and we've been talking about it since I came back from Australia. I heard the Lord say, in 2020, I will open a new door and cause you to experience supernatural increase like never before. I knew it was the Lord. And I wrote it down. And then for the rest of the trip, while he and I were not talking, I, that's what I studied. When I got to my hotel room, I continued to study it. And, and then shortly after coming back home, then I started preaching it here about Three, three sermons on that subject. Now, in the natural, and this is what I was leading up to when I said, I want to be honest with you. In the natural, it doesn't look like in the present conditions that that could ever come to pass. Come on. <laughs> However, my ministry has not suffered in the least. 
Our income has not gone down. I have not had to lay off anybody. I have not cut back salaries with anybody, not only here in America, but in our offices around the world. We've had some great months where income is concerned and some supernatural things have happened. Amen. And I'm not letting go of that word. Regardless of what happens between now and the end of the year, I am not letting go of that. Because it is a proven fact that God can change everything within 24 hours. Amen. The prophet said at one time, this time tomorrow, by the prophetic word, this time tomorrow. Now, there were people who heard what he said. And one guy in particular said, there's absolutely, I'm paraphrasing, there's absolutely no way God could do that by tomorrow. And the prophet said, oh, it'll happen and you'll see it, but you'll not partake of it. I don't want to be standing on the outside watching everybody else experiencing supernatural increase because I wouldn't believe it. But your neighbor said, Daddy, it's not going to happen to me. Now, I don't know how God can do it. I don't know when he's going to do it. But I do know this. I'm a believer and not a doubter. Somebody shout, I'm a believer. And I'm not a doubter. So just hold on to that. Amen. Now, once again, I'm aware of what's happening around me. And I'm compassionate toward people who are suffering because of it. I'm not hard-hearted. It hurts me deeply that people are suffering, people are losing their jobs, people are having to spend all of their hard-earned savings and and so forth. But I'm not going to get into sympathy. I'm going to preach the Word. That's what the Bible tells me to do. That's my job, man. It's what to do. It's what to do. Amen. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Well, it may be out of season today, but I'm going to keep preaching the word. Amen. Now, I want to give you this prophetic word. We were, Joe and Ken and I, were getting ready to take off. Uh, We keep our plane out here at Spinks. And uh, as soon as we got on the plane and they shut the doors and fired the engines up and and we started down the runway. The word of the Lord came to me. And I wrote it down. And, and, uh, and, and as I said, it primarily was for this group of ministers that I was about to preach to. Some of it I'm not going to read to you because it may not pertain to everybody in here. But I'm going to read a portion of it that I know pertains to everybody in the body of Christ. And here's what the Lord said. How you respond and how you react to what you're experiencing right now is going to have either a negative effect or a positive effect on you. You'll either fall back or you'll go forward. You'll either suffer more lack or you'll have your greatest financial breakthroughs. My plan is for you to experience increase and to have one of your finest years thus far. 
But it all depends, listen to this, but it all depends on what you do from this moment on. My plan, once again, is for you to experience increase and to have one of your finest years thus far. But it all depends on what you do from this moment forward. Let this be your finest hour. Let it be a time when all will see and know that your God is the faithful God. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, a few moments later, uh, it continued. And, and um, I'm not going to read all of it to you, but I'll read this part of it. Don't be surprised when unusual funds come from some unexpected sources. Understand this. There is no lack of money in the body of Christ, only a lack of obedience. But that is changing. I'm moving upon numerous people right now and they will follow through with what I'm instructing them to do. So stay in faith and refuse to waver and I assure you, I will not allow you to fail. I think you ought to lift your hands and give the Lord some praise. Amen. Hallelujah. And then what the Lord told me to preach to them was this. Now, he, he gave me this message several days before, uh, the title of it. This is another defining moment in your life. What's going on right now is another defining moment in your life. Now, that pertains to every one of us. And let me define a defining moment. It is a point at which the character of a person is truly revealed or identified. Hallelujah. That's a defining moment. I've had many defining moments in my life over the last 51 years. I could, I could tell you each and every one of them. Something that impacted my life so profoundly that it changed my life. Now, of course, that happened, first of all, back in... In 1969, when I surrendered my life to the Lord, that was a defining moment. When that particular day, when Carolyn begged me to go hear Kenneth Copeland for the first time, and I didn't want to go. She wanted me to go every night. I didn't go until the last night. And the only reason I went then is because she promised me if I didn't like him, she'd never ask me to go to another service. And that was the deal I'd been waiting on. And so I, I went and heard the word like I'd never heard it before. Now, I didn't, I didn't go forth and surrender my life to the Lord then, you know, but three o'clock in the morning, I, I couldn't sleep after I got home. Just thinking about what he said, preaching, what he, uh, thinking about what he preached. And finally, three o'clock in the morning, I got up and went into the living room I said, God, I don't know why you still want me. I've been running from you all my life. But if you still do, here I am. And I, I was gloriously, I gloriously experienced the glory of God. <laughs> it's the only way I know how to put it. Amen. And that was a defining moment. I mean, it wasn't long after that. I, I went to work trying to, uh, well, I did. Uh, endeavoring to shut my business down. I owned the automotive business, shut that business down and prepare for full-time ministry. That was a defining moment in my life. The, the second defining moment in my life was when Terry Lynn 
My youngest daughter's fingers were cut off right behind the first joint. Both fingers cut off in a service where Kenneth Copeland was preaching. And in the natural, it was impossible for them ever to grow back, ever to be normal, ever to have nails. That's what the doctors told Carol and I when we took her in uh, to see what could be done. I had her little fingertips in the palm of my hand. And I gave them to the doctor. He looked at them and he said, there's nothing I can do with these fingertips. And he threw them in the waste bin. I wanted to slap him. <laughs> and, uh, and he told us, uh, there's nothing I can do except take a piece of skin from her hip and do a skin graft. They'll never be normal. They'll never have nails. And I basically learn to live with it. And we kept saying, no, no, sir. Uh, you're wrong. Our God will restore our baby's fingers. He kept saying impossible. Now you have to understand, he served Buddha. He had Buddha statues in his, in his office. And his God can't do what my God can do. Amen. And so we kept saying, no, sir, you're wrong. Our God will restore our baby's fingers. At one point, he, 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 when I kept saying that, he went to Carolyn and said, your husband's in shock. He, I can't get across to him. And she said, no, sir, we believe God will restore our baby's finger. Well, to make a long story short, most of you heard the lengthy version. But six weeks later, when we took her back to the doctor and he cut the bandages off, he lifted both hands and screamed, my God. I said, what is it, doctor? He said, look, the fingers were back. The nails were back. You couldn't even tell they'd ever been cut off. And I said, no, sir, not your God, my God. Hallelujah. My God. There was years later I found out that he and his wife both got saved as a result of that miracle, praise God. That was a defining moment in my life. It, it caused me from that moment to never doubt that my God was the God who does the impossible. That's a divining moment. Amen. And there have been many like that, many like that, you know, and uh, I won't go into all of them, but this is a defining moment for you. We're going to find out what you're made of. We're going to find out if you are a hearer only or a doer of the word of God. Anybody can talk the word when everything's going well. Anybody can be positive when everything's going well. But what are you saying and what are you doing when the bottom falls out? Like I said last time I spoke here and Vic uh, talked about it this morning in the first service. Where's your focus when times are bad? Amen. I trust you still are focused on the word. Now, let's, let's go back to 2 Timothy and remember what he says here, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And I gave you all the other translations. Now, let's look at verse 14 of that same chapter. But, now he lists all these different things that will be going on. I don't, I don't take the time to read all that, but... If you haven't done so, please do it. Verse 14, he says, But continue thou 
in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. Now, if you haven't learned anything, you're in trouble. Let me see if I get a better response on this side of the auditorium. If you haven't learned anything, you're in trouble. Continue in the things which thou hast learned. When are we supposed to do this? During perilous times? During times of great stress, hard to deal with and hard to bear? Violent times? Troubled times? All these translations that I read. We are to continue in the things we have learned. That's the solution to overcoming this. I heard someone say, boy, we need some new revelation nobody's ever heard to get past this. No, we don't. If you fall for some revelation nobody's ever heard, including God, there was a guy, there was a guy came to me one time and he said, Brother Jerry, I've got to give you this revelation. He said, and I want you to, I want you to share it with all your colleagues. Well, you know, being the nice guy I am, uh, you know, I, I didn't really want to hear it. But he said, you know, he went on with this revelation. He said, what do you think? I said, well, sir, there's one thing I can agree on that you said. Number one, nobody has ever heard this revelation before. And I'm going to take it a step further. I don't think God's even heard this one Amen. And there, there are some preachers that feel that, you know, they got to have some new revelation. You know, I, I get accused. I don't so much anymore because, you know, I've been in this 51 years now. But I get, in the early days, I got accused quite often of just copying Kenneth Copeland, just copying Kenneth Hagin. What's wrong with that? It's working for them. <laughs> Amen. One preacher, one pastor where I was at in Oklahoma City after the service said, you're just a Kenneth Copeland clone. Well, back in those days, I didn't even know what the word clone meant. (laughs) I smiled and said, thank you. I didn't know he was, you know, criticizing me. I come back home and and, uh, next time I was with Brother Copeland, I said, he he asked me, how was your meeting in Oklahoma City? I said, it was great. And he said, uh, uh, well, I'm glad to hear that. I said, you know what that pastor told me when I got ready to leave? He said, what? I said, he told me I was nothing but a Kenneth Copeland clone. He just laughed. And he said, no, who was that pastor? I told him, he said, and he laughed again. He said, I preached there when I first started and he called me a Kenneth Hagin clone. <laughs> I said, well, at least we're in good company. Amen. Follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. I'm not trying to get some new revelation nobody ever heard. The ones I've got are still working. And you've heard me say it before. We have a saying in Texas, you dance with the one that rung you. Hallelujah. 
Amen. I've been dancing with the word of faith for 51 years, and I'm not changing partners. I don't care what anybody says. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, one of the truths, well, let me read this from some other translations. Verse 14. The Passion Translation says, yet you must continue to advance in strength with the truth. The Message Translation says, but don't let it phase you, all this trouble. Don't let it phase you. Stick with what you've learned and believed. Stick with what you've learned and believed. And then the Amplified says, continue to hold to the things that you have learned of and which you are convinced of. Okay? So with that in mind, and because that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, all scriptures are given by inspiration of God. So this is God's instructions of how we can handle times of great stress, how that we can handle times of of trouble, perilous times. The way we overcome them is by continuing in the things which we have learned. Amen. And been assured of. Now, the truth that I want to emphasize this morning by the direction of the Holy Spirit is this. I trust you've learned this. God is still the provider. God is still the provider. I remember in 1969, shortly after I came to the Lord, Oral Roberts had a primetime special television program back in those days. And he'd invite special guests. Johnny Cash was on there one time and uh, different celebrities. He used those celebrities to get the attention of worldly people so they'd watch and then he'd preach to them. And it, you know, quite genius at the time. And um, Brother Roberts, at the end of one of his programs, and I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm, I'm real new in the Lord. And he said, I've just written a brand new book. It's entitled The Miracle of Seed Faith. And he held it up. And he said, if you will write to me and ask for it, I'll send it to you absolutely free and postpaid. I turned to Carol and I said, here's one we can afford. Get the address. <laughs> and as soon as that book came in the mail, I devoured it. I still have it. In fact, I've, I've given copies away over, over the years all over the world. I still go back and read it. In fact, recently I carried it on a trip and read it again. It taught me not only the principle of seed faith, but it taught me, there's chapters in there specifically dealing with God is our source of supply. God, our provider. If you haven't got it, I encourage you to get it. He's not giving them away free anymore, but you can still get it. Praise God. Amen. I learned in 1969 that God was my provider. Now, once the word Jesus said is sown in your heart, Satan comes immediately to steal it. Shortly after this great revelation came to me, God is my source. God is my provider. Back in those days, I was was still uh, in the National Guard. 
when Carol and I first married, I, I wanted to serve my country, but she was expecting our first child, Jerry Ann, sitting right over there. And I wanted to serve my country. And so uh, a friend of mine told me that there was an opening in the National Guard. And so I went out to the base and uh, they swore me in and I became uh, a part of the National Guard. Shortly after that, they sent me on active duty. Uh, Jerry Ann was born while I was on active duty. Now, I had been in the Guard for about uh, two or three years. It's a six-year commitment. And uh, we would go to Fort Polk, Louisiana. We'd go to Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. Uh, anytime there was rioting uh, during the Civil Rights Movement, we had to go to different places all over the country, mostly in the South. Uh, anytime there were hurricanes and so forth to keep people from looting, we would have to go and, you know, uh, be stationed there for who knows when. And I got a call. And they were having some riotings and looting in New Orleans because of a major hurricane. And so our unit got called up and we're having to go to New Orleans. It couldn't have happened at a worse time because I just shut my business down not too long before that. I'm believing God for food on my table. I'm believing God for milk for my babies. I don't have a regular income coming in. Every once in a while, somebody would ask me, uh, can you repair my car? I'd say, well, I don't have my shop anymore, but if you don't mind me doing it, you know, under my carport, I'd be happy to do it. And, and that would sustain me for a few days, you know, the money I'd get from doing that. Or Carolyn's dad, he was, she, he was a builder, contractor. And he'd ask me to help him from time to time. I didn't know one thing about building a house. I didn't know one piece of lumber from another. I didn't know one nail from another. I said, I don't know what I could do to help you, sir, but I'd be willing to help you. And I'd, I'd go help him. I was a gopher. Go for this, go for that. But when the job was over with, he, he gave me a, a nice check. And I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. You know, I didn't do that much, but he blessed me, you know, and it, it sustained us for a few more weeks and so forth. But I get this call and I have to report. I have to be there in about two hours because we are loading up on deuce and a half trucks and we are going to New Orleans. <clears throat> this is the worst time it could have ever happened because I don't have any money I don't have any food for my family, but I can't not go. I took an oath. I swore. <laughs> so I went in there and put my uniform on. And I came back in the living room and Carolyn was sitting in an old rocking chair that I broke both arms off doing handstands in it. <laughs> Uh, I used to be a gymnast and, and I, I just loved just sitting in the chair and going to a handstand. I broke both <laughs> arms off eventually. And uh, she's sitting there with, with Terry, I think, in her lap. 
Jerry and, you know, a little older. And she's sitting there in her lap. When I came in there and she saw me in that uniform, she said, you're not going to leave us, are you? I said, no, I'm not. Not back step back in that room, took that uniform off, hung it up, came back in there. And, and the Lord said, son, you, you, can't, you can't say no to this. You gave your word. You took an oath. I said, God, how are you going to take I don't know how long we're going to be going. How is my family going to be provided for? I will provide. I said, oh, okay, thank you. So I went back and put the uniform on. I came back in there, and she didn't have to say a word this time, just gave me a look, like a pitiful look. You're not going to leave me, are you? I backed up, went back to the room, took the uniform off, hung it up again. I said, Lord, did you see how she looked at me? I can't leave her looking at me like that. He said, I will provide. I said, okay. I put my uniform on and I came back in the third time and she still gave me that look. I said, Carolyn, I don't know how. I wish I could tell you, I don't have a clue how God is going to take care of you. I don't know how long I'm going to be gone. I may be gone two days. I may be gone two months. I don't know. You know, that's the way it was in the National Guard. You, you stayed as long as it required. And so I said, I don't know how God can do this. I don't know where it's going to come from. But he promised me he will provide. And I'm basing this primarily on what I learned in that book from Oral Roberts, that God is our source. And then he led me to the scriptures and so forth. So I'm basing it on two authorities, God and Oral. (laughs) Amen. And so if either one of them is lying, I'm in trouble, you know, but God's not a man that he should lie. And so I said, sweetheart, I'm sorry. I have to go. I got my duffel bag and I went to the back door and turned around and looked at her one more time. And I said, God will provide. And when I turned back, there was a knock on the door and the man standing at the door said, Where are you going? I said, I've got to go to New Orleans. I've been called up. Uh, I don't know how long we're going to be gone, but I'm on my way out right now. He said, well, I'm glad I caught you. God told me to bring you this. And brought us a check that not only took care of her and the family for days and days and days, but even helped me pay off some bills that were very pressing. God proved to me I will provide. And he's been proving that to me for 51 years now. Amen. See, this is a truth that I learned and I'm still living by it to this day. And Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit said, this is how you're going to overcome times like this with the truths you've already learned. Look at your neighbor and say, my God, is my source of supply. My God is my provider. And if you really, truly believe it, give him the best shout you got, praise God. Amen. You're going to need that truth perhaps more now 
than you've ever needed it before. We don't know how God plans to do certain things. That's really not our business. I I quit asking a long time ago, God, how are you going to do this? That's not my business. My business is believe he will. Believe he can and believe he will. Period. How he goes about doing it is his business. And I just tell him, I love surprises. (laughs) And he's constantly surprising me and how he goes about it, praise God. Amen. Now, God has promised to be our provider. 2 Corinthians 1.20 makes this statement about the promises of God. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, under the glory of God. Yea and amen. Yea means affirmative. Amen means so be it. Amen. Amen. So be it. All the promises of God are affirmative and so be it. Now, one of those promises is this. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Well, praise God. That settles it. I can trust God. I can't say that about every person I know. A lot of people say, you never know what God's going to do. Oh, I do. He's going to do exactly what he said in his book. It's people I can't figure out. If everybody who ever promised me in the last 51 years that they were going to bless our ministry big time came through, we wouldn't have to receive another offering till mid-millennium. Some have come through. Many have come through, but not everybody. If somebody told me, you know, and I don't know them and I don't know their integrity, uh, Brother Jerry, don't worry about a thing. I'm going to give you all the money for that new church building. Well, I don't, I don't know them. I don't know their integrity. I don't know if they have it to do it with. But if God said that, Jerry, son, don't worry about a thing. I'm going to supply all the money you need to build every building you're going to want to build. Thank you, sir. That settles it. Amen. Now, the next question that most people would ask, how? Where you going to get it? Brother Copeland said in the early days of his walk with God, the Lord said, uh, I'm going to take care of this. And he said, how? And the Lord said, don't worry about it. I'll come by it honest. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> He'll come by it honest. Amen. I know God is not a man that he should lie. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? The message translation says, does he speak and not do what he says? Does he promise and not come through? We're talking about God's integrity. Make the decision that you're going to hold fast to the promise that God will provide. 
Say it with me again. My God is my source of supply and my God will provide. Never stop believing that he wants to meet your every need. Say this with me. The Bible is the infallible word of my God. Whatever it says he will do, he will do. Amen. So be it. And give him another shout. Praise God. Now, I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And if you've got a roast cooking today, you may want to offer it as a burnt offering because I ain't done yet. Genesis 22. Now, you know the story for the sake of time. I'd love to read it all, but for the sake of time, this is the story where God instructs Abraham to offer Isaac. I think it's interesting, and I do want to bring this point up. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, that's not the best selection of words. Because in the book of James, it says God tempts no man. A better word is prove. God did prove Abraham. It's the same way with, with what it says about Job when God asks Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He was proving to Satan that Job would not compromise. God is proving that Abraham believes him. Now, he says to him, take your only son and offer him. And look at verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, it, it is implied. I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and I and the lad will come back to you. That's right, that's right. He fully intended to bring Isaac back. That's right. Why? Because he had a promise from God. And that promise from God was, from this boy will come a mighty nation. And dead boys can't produce mighty nations. So he fully intended to bring the boy back with him. Amen. Now, apparently Isaac has been involved in, in sacrifices like this with his father in times past. Because he understood when he asked the question, Father... We have the wood, we have the fire. Where's the lamb? So he understood what is needful to carry out this process. We have the fire, we have the wood, where's the lamb? Now notice in verse 14. I'm sorry, in verse uh, 8. And Abraham said, my son... God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. 
Amen. Most theologians agree. Not all theologians agree on this point, but most theologians agree that the first time that a concept is mentioned in the Bible, it comes under what is called the law of first mention. And the way it is used, the first time you see it, is the way it is used thereafter. It's what theologians refer to, and this is, you know, above my pay grade. It's what theologians refer to as a time-honored hermeneutical principle. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. That was a hard one to get out, David. The law of first mention. The first time you ever see these words, God will provide right here. And that means that under the law of first mention, God obligated himself not only to provide for Abraham and his son Isaac, but generations to come. That concept would still be in effect. And did you notice it wasn't God who said, I will provide uh, first. It was Abraham who said, my son, God will provide. God's covenant partner established the concept. Established the principle. And because Abraham was a friend of God, God honored it. My friend says, I will provide. Therefore, I will provide. Not only for you, but I will provide for generations to come who will dare believe like you have believed that I am your provider. How many of you believe that God is our provider? Amen. Abraham, our father in the faith, established that. And the concept, the principle, the law is still available for us to apply today. Amen. And once again, not every theologian agrees on this principle, but personally, I do. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because of what we read. My son, God will provide. It's a time-honored principle. Amen. God wanted it known to all back then and even all to know in our day that he's still the provider. Hallelujah. I'm glad I have a provider. Now, notice in verse 14. And Abraham, and and let me back up a minute. You remember the story. As Abraham was ready to slay his son, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, Abraham, do your son no harm. And he looked and saw in the thicket a ram. Now, a lot of people say, well, now God, uh, Abraham said God will provide a lamb. A lamb is referred to as a young sheep. A ram is a mature male sheep. So what Abraham said is what God did. 
historically, little sheep, you know, they're docile, they're gentle, you can play with them, you know, but a ram is not quite so. So therefore, God had it lock its horns into a thicket so Abraham could go get it without any problem. God was providing. It's not likely that Abraham would have caught up with a ram, but God had that ram to get his horns locked into a thicket so Abraham could go get it out and offer him instead of his son. God provided. Isn't this good? You ought to say, Brother Jerry, that's a good sermon. Thank you for preaching it. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, now, let's keep going. Verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, meaning God will provide. As it is said to this day, that's an interesting addition, as it is said to this day. In other words, that very place became a memorial. And generations after, the children of Israel, when they passed by that very spot where this all took place, where Abraham had built that altar, the first thing they thought was, God provided for Abraham, God will provide for us. You need to have memorials in your mind. See what I told you earlier about that miracle of God providing me with funds when I was getting ready to go to New Orleans on that trip? That's a memorial in my mind. God restoring Terry's fingers is a memorial in my mind. Hallelujah. I have lots of memorials. Back, back in Bible days, they piled up rocks. They piled rocks. And every time they walked by that place, it reminded them of a miracle God had performed. I have rocks on my brain. <laughs> hallelujah. Some of you already knew that, but hallelujah. I got rocks. I got rocks in here. Memorials. Hallelujah. Amen. So notice once again, as it is said to this day, go centuries later, and the Apostle Paul makes this statement, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What are you supposed, now I know the Holy Spirit inspired him to say that, but what do you suppose he even got the idea that God would supply well, this is the man that wrote a lot about Abraham. Go read Romans chapter four. Wrote a lot about Abraham. He, he recalls that God provided for Abraham and God provided for the children of Israel and God provided down through the ages. And if God provided then, my God shall supply all your need now. Hallelujah. Are you still here? This reveals, uh, let, me, let me say this. The Hebrew word provide, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I can read a textbook. <laughs> the Hebrew word provide is the same word in the English as seeing or as the message translation states, 
when it said, my son, God will provide, the message translation says, God will see to it. God will see to it. Look to your neighbor and say, don't worry about a thing. God will see to it. Tell somebody else, don't worry about a thing. God will see to it. Why? He's El Shaddai. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the provider. Hallelujah. I'm preaching myself happy. I hope I'm doing, doing the same for you. Praise God. So once again, after Abraham declared that God will supply, then all other generations after Abraham would have this promise to hold fast to. Can you say amen? amen. Now, in, um, in this story, when Abraham demonstrates to God that he was willing to fully carry out this thing, he raised his knife to slay his son. And of course, God stopped him. But Abraham had already seen, the book of Hebrews tells us, in a vision that God would raise up ashes because the, the sacrifice required not only slaying, but burning it. And Abraham was prepared to stand there and watch God raise ashes up. Hallelujah. No wonder the Bible calls him the father of faith. Glory to God. Amen. Now, when God saw how Abraham reacted to all this, he says in verse 12, for now I know. For now I know. Another translation says, now I know that you trust me and that I am first place in your life. I believe we could say as a result of that, perhaps this is the prerequisite or something that is required for experiencing God always providing for everything that you'll ever need in your lifetime. Now I know. Has God ever said to you, now I know? There should come a point in your life where God finally says, it may not be the first week you're a believer. It may not be the first month. It may not be the first year. But there should come a time where God puts on your spirit that he knows how you'll respond. Now I know. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? Glory to God. Now talking about Abraham, the Bible says in Romans chapter four, verse 12, that we are to walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. And then Paul goes ahead and talks about in verses 20 and 21, the faith of Abraham. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. We have the promise that God is our provider and we are instructed to follow Abraham's example by not staggering at that promise through unbelief. Hebrews chapter six, verse 15 says, and so after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. The message translation says, Abraham stuck it out and got everything that God had promised him. He never hesitated. He never questioned, nor never balked regarding his faith in God will provide. 
Where do you stand? On God will provide. Abraham didn't know how God was going to provide when he made that statement, but he believed he would. I don't know when I stand here in front of you and say, my God will provide. God's going to provide all the funds we need for this new building project. I don't know how he's going to do it. No more than Abraham knew how God was going to provide that lamb. Hallelujah. Maybe we'll find gold in a thicket. (laughs) One time in those early days, uh, I told Carolyn, I said, Carolyn, I don't know how God's going to meet our needs. I just believe he has to use an old dog and bring a bag full of money to our house. He'll do it. I don't know how he'll do it. And one day she was reading an article and there was this dog come up on the corner and stood there in front of a policeman with a bag in his mouth. And when the policeman opened the bag, it was full of money. I just screamed, he's hunting our house. (laughs) He was asking for directions. But I've never had God, you know, do it quite that way, but I'm certainly not against him doing it that way. Amen. We had a dog one time and, and that just showed up out here. You know, every dog we've ever had, besides the one we got now, has just showed up. And, and we take them in, you know. And, and this one old dog was just digging in Carolyn's flower beds all the time. And she'd get upset. Jerry, come out here and make this dog quit digging in our flower beds. I'd say, leave him alone. The Bible says uh, the hidden riches of the deep belong to us. He's liable to dig some up. <laughs> I said, you're a nut. Well, I may be, but I'm a nut that my needs are met. Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. I don't always know how God's going to do it. Then somebody says, well, how can you be so sure he will? Because he's already established this truth way back in Genesis chapter 22. God will provide. Amen. The author of the book of Hebrews says God's promises in Hebrews 6, 17 are immutable. Immutable means not subject to change. The Passion Translation says his promise is unchangeable. And it goes on to say it is impossible for God to lie. His vow will never change. Charles Spurgeon was known to say God is God. And what he promises is not for me to ask how. He will do it. He said it and he'll do it, period. That's a good philosophy, amen? Do you remember where uh, we read in Genesis 22 and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh as it is to this day? That means that years and years after, generations and generations after, every time somebody would pass by, it would bring to their remembrance what God did for Abraham and encourage them to believe that God is your source and God is your provider. The book of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 32, tells us to do the same thing. Call to remembrance the former days. Call to remembrance the former days. Those days in your early walk with God, when it seemed like every time you turned around, there was a miracle. You had what T.L. Osborne always referred to as young faith. 
You know, you were so excited about the word, so excited about this new relationship with God. You hadn't been to church yet and talked to doubt. Amen. You just had young faith. You just believed God said it, you believed it. Amen. Here it says, called to remembrance the former days. See, that's what I was doing with those examples I gave you earlier. I'm calling to remembrance. The message says, remember those early days. And then after it says, remember them, verse 35 says, now cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense reward. See, this is how David encouraged himself in the Lord. Remember the story about Ziglag and how that the enemy forces came in and burned down their homes, took their wives and their children and everybody, uh, David's men, fighting men, men of valor and so forth, uh, they were so discouraged. David himself was discouraged. And then it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. How did he do that? He remembered Goliath. He remembered all those great victories that God had given him. Amen. When you're, when you're sitting there in your home watching that trash on TV, <laughs> call to remembrance. You may want to turn the TV off first. Call to remembrance. <laughs> Amen. Called to remembrance how God came through for you in the most impossible situations. And if he's ever done it before, he can do it again. Amen? Amen. That's what he's talking about. Passion Translation says, don't lose your bold, courageous faith for you are destined for a great reward. Hallelujah. Amen. It's been established, folks. God is our provider. Hold fast to this. Refuse to let go of it. It's part of your covenant rights. It's based upon the integrity of God. Psalm 89, 35 says, Once have I sworn by my holiness, I will not lie. The verse right before that, verse 34, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Covenant promises are a very serious thing with God, and they should be a very serious thing with you and me. That's why the book of Hebrews says, In Hebrews 6.13, because God could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Amen. God can't turn to somebody and say, I swear. There is no greater. He's the most high God. There is no moster high. And he swear by himself, saying, surely, 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 not maybe, surely I will bless thee. I will provide for thee. Amen. He's telling us the very same thing today. That we can depend upon him. That we can rely upon him as our provider. The Passion Translation says, Since there was no one greater than himself, he swore an oath on his own integrity. Have no doubt, he says, I promise to bless you. Let your neighbor say, have no doubt. God is going to take care of it. Amen. Let me close it with this. No matter what's happening in in our world around us, God is still provider. That was established through the law of first mention. 
Deuteronomy 4.31, For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, nor forget the covenant uh, of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. He will not forsake thee. Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and of good courage, for uh, the Lord thy God, he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Psalm 9.10, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. The Passion Translation says, They can count on you for help no matter what. Hallelujah. They can count on you for help no matter what. And here's my closing statement. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And this is a key point to all of this. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I'm sure that you would agree that it's simply good manners to thank God for what he's already done and thank him in advance for what you believe he's about to do. So if you believe you have good manners, give him a good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Stand to your feet. I want to pray over you right now. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I have delivered your word. I trust that everyone who heard it has received it, not just heard it, but received it and are determined to be a doer of it. You confirm your word with signs following. I told them, and of course, the majority of them already knew it. I just reminded them that you are our source of supply. You are our provider. Now confirm this with signs following. I'm asking you, Lord, to provide for their needs in ways they've never seen you do it quite like this before so that no one will question the faithfulness of our God and the validity of his word. I'm expecting testimonies of some miraculous things, some unusual manifestations of your favor in behalf of our congregation. And I'm thanking you in advance for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, and so be it. Give the Lord one more good shout, praise God.